Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is a cold and blustery day. Isn't it? Does Winnie the Pooh start off something like that, y'all? Any? Let's say that he does. Let's say that he does. I should say it with more confidence. Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) But welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Judy Como. I'm so happy to be here. I'm in our studio at St. Mary's Catholic Center, and we want to welcome all of our listeners here locally on KEDC 88.5 FM, the Brazos Valley, KYAR 98.3 FM, Central Texas, and 107.9 KINF in Palestine. And I welcome these two guys who are the leaders of our Red Sea Radio and Apostolate, Thaddeus Romanski. Good morning. Good morning, Judy. Servant leader. Servant leader. Got it. Got it. And Dennis Maka. Just call me master. His, to his left. Oh my my right. <laughs> Your had, Highness. We had, <laughs> or heinous. We had, uh, we had three priests come through uh, out of the Norbertines out of uh, California and their, their order has, has lots of connections with Thaddeus and, going way back and, and uh, they came through and they are like, Oh, so you're uh daddy's is behind the scene guy. Oh. I'm like, yeah, but I did not put them up on to that. <laughs> I did not tell them to say that. It was that. great. It was great. And no, they're said, And Dennis said, no, I'm more like his boss. <laughs> like oh. that. Oh, that guy. <laughs> oh, okay. That guy. That no, guy that he talks about him. and complains about all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah, you're that guy. These guys, you got listeners. It's so, uh, so much fun to be around these guys and see their relationship and how uh, wonderfully they work together and support all the different workings of day in, day out, Red Sea Catholic Radio. Yeah. Thank you, Which guys. Which is your apostolate, yes. listeners. It belongs to you. You That's support sure. it. You make it possible with your one-time gifts, your monthly gifts, your major, you know, donations to our initiatives here and there and you know who you are who I'm talking about and especially your prayers we we have a team meeting every Monday and we pray over the pray inten- the prayers that you send us the prayer intentions that you send us we read those as a staff and we pray about them so keep those prayer intentions coming and remember that this is your local Catholic apostolate that you support and thank you so much yes. for the opportunity yes. to We're serve so- you so very grateful for that, and some of the fruit of those supporters. Uh, one of the first things that we're going to talk about is our new part of the lay apostolate, Victory Sports. Yeah, indeed, we got yeah. an exciting couple pieces of news <clears throat> to pass along. Yeah, well, I wanted to also say our prayer intentions are also sent on to our Moses Ministry prayer team, which is headed up by our friend Barbara Svatek, and thank you, Barbara and team, for your praying for our prayer intentions for the radio and for our listeners' prayer intentions. But uh, yeah, I I got a chance to go to two back-to-back Austin road trips uh, on Friday and Saturday of this past week. The first one was with uh, 
Robin Romanski, and we were there talking to uh, the diocese about Victory Sports. And the next one was with Thaddeus to the men's conference on Saturday. So it was um, two very productive trips. And uh, Robin and I talked to the vicar general and uh, his staff there at the diocese about Victory Sports and uh, kind of painted the picture of what our next apostolate branch is is going to look like. So we were very excited about being able to meet with him about everything that we, we've we got planning, we, we've got in the plans and what the Holy Spirit has asked us to do. So I was going to have Thaddeus actually <laughs> chip in and and tell about yeah, some, and in some case, about that. In case some of you who maybe weren't able to attend the benefit dinner in the Brazos Valley, especially, or you didn't, you didn't, you don't remember us uh, kind of going over this in our winter appeal. What is Victory Sports? What maybe that's news to you? Well, it's a Red Sea initiative. It's going to be a new arm of our lay apostolate, like Judy said, for for youth sports for boys and girls age six to twelve, and eventually it's going to offer an interparish league. It's going to start here in the Brazos Valley, but eventually we want to bring it to other listening areas. So, you know, Waco would be the central Texas area would be, would be natural, but we're also trying to build it and conceive it and scale it so that it can be something that could go to any part of the diocese, maybe even any, even beyond, even beyond the diocese of Austin. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we want to develop children as athletes through instruction and competition. And, and one motto that we have is we want the beauty of the faith to be learned through the beauty of sport. And we want sport to be elevated by virtue, and we want virtue to be taught through the sport experience. So it's, it's, it is CYO in a, in a way, <laughs> but it's CYO 2.0. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's exciting. For those of us who grew up with that part of our yeah. uh, youth ministry, before youth ministry was even a word, CYO, and those... Uh, you know, yeah. I I went to school in Caldwell, but I came to church in Bryan, and so I had opportunities to uh, go to the convention and some of these tournaments and things like that. And it was like, oh, you're mm-hmm. Catholic, mm-hmm. so it's going to really be a way to uh, continue to show the universal church here mm-hmm. um, through and through these uh, victory sports is going to be great. Great opportunity, lots of work and uh, lots of help already mm-hmm. with um, sponsors and donations that are making this happen. So please keep Victory Sports in your prayers and the directions that we need to grow in. But it's uh, it's very exciting to be a part of this. Well, if people want to get a taste of what we're talking about and and get some more information and get onto our list to find out more information, go to victoryyouthsports.org. And we put together a nice intro video. We've got a lot nice branding package that has started and um, it's starting to turn heads. It really is. People are very excited about this, not just in our area, but in the, the entire diocese. And I would say likewise with the diocese of Austin, um, uh, we've got the blessing from uh, our Bishop and all his staff to, to, make this go here in our Bryan College Station area and uh, to grow it, right. God willing. We have some support from local churches here in the Bryan yeah. area that are uh, have, yeah. have our gyms that'll be 
yes. utilize for that. And uh, we yeah. really wanted to bring families together and 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 bring them in the context and bring the faith to where they're already at, which so many families are involved in sports. And so uh, there was a real need that uh, Thaddeus and Robin both saw at the same time. And we uh, brought that together with a, uh, a gentleman named Paul Rieger here in town who had been dreaming about this and developing it on his own for five years. But we also ran into people <laughs> in the Diocese of Austin that said they've been dreaming about this, some, something like this happening. And even into the uh, Central Texas area that they've been wanting something like this for our diocese. So the Holy Spirit was definitely moving through quite a few different people. Yeah, it's a, it's a great example of how the apostolate interfacing with, you know, a member of the community, the, 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 the tie with the, the people who reside in this area is what helps give life to the apostolate. So it's a, it's a really beautiful collaboration yeah. and we're excited. And so we want you to keep your, your eyes out and your ears out for our first clinic is going to be April 23rd. We haven't pinned down where it's going to be, but that's the, that's the date that we have on the calendar uh, right now to kick off our one day clinics, looking to do that in basketball, volleyball, and flag football during the springtime. Wonderful. Yeah. Pretty Wonderful. cool. Very good. So from January of 2021 to now it has gone from conceptualization to, you know, months away from actually being. It's going to happen. A reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. We've been developing it for about a year now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just over a year. So it's it's amazing. Well, talking to, mentioning the calendar and schedules or, well, you know, what's one week from today? Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Whoa. Just, you know, how many times I know for me personally, Advent catches me off guard because you got <laughs> that anticipation and Thanksgiving and boom, the very next weekend is... Uh, mm-hmm. Advent begins, but I've I personally have had a little. Let's look ahead. If you really want to make Lent more powerful and grow closer to walking with Jesus, let's kind of look ahead. So there's a yeah. If I can speak to that, I know that we do have a couple spots more in our uh, Vatican II document study that I'm leading a session here at St. Mary's twelve forty five on Fridays. And there's a session at St. Anthony's at 6.30 in the evening. They just had their kind of intro session last night. Mm-hmm. A, I think they could probably squeeze in one one person more. I'm going to have the registration open for those through through today. If you still want to jump in and, and be a part of that, it's redcradio.org slash VC260. Letter V, the letter C, the numeral 2, the numeral 6, the numeral 0. And a great opportunity. Um Thaddeus, you are a great teacher, and it's a great opportunity to uh, come together, and I'm sure it's going to be a little collaborative, not just— I told the the assembled um, (laughs) members, I said, you know, I'm really going to be the guide on the side. Uh, If I slip into professor mode, please slap me Mm. around. You only got slapped, I think, one time this last— Yeah, I think you slapped me, actually. No, it was was somebody else. Okay. The person to my left. Awesome. I won't won't tell her um, name. Here locally in the Bryan College Station area, uh, we ladies have a great opportunity to kickstart uh, their Lenten practices by uh, joining in a women's discipleship series. The first one is going to be held at St. Joseph's Catholic Church this coming Saturday, 
the 26th. February the 26th. And um, 815 Mass followed into a gathering in their parish activity center. Father Brian Eilers will give a talk, and then there'll be a testimony time for small group sharing. And it's the first in the series uh, that will go over the next couple of months. It's a great opportunity. Um, It's in the bulletin here locally. I think if you really needed to seek that out, you could find more information about that. And uh, one other thing I'd want to mention at St. Anthony's, because I'm a part of this Bible studies, we refer to ourselves as the Bible gals, but uh, we too are going to kick off the Lenten season by focusing on all things Lent. We'll be utilizing the Essential Lenten Handbook. It is a great resource of the whys and the wheres and how uh, the practice of Lent came together and some of the Stations of the Cross. And it's not only practicing in those, but teachings about them. And you can... Contact Marilyn at 979-450-3334. The Bible study meets on Thursdays at 10 a.m., and we will be incorporating lessons and liturgies where we will have a time. uh, It's a liturgically based, Hmm. something that you read every day, something that you pray every day, come together, and then utilize some of those practices. So that's Thursdays at St. Anthony's Catholic Church. You know, I also uh, want to say the next time that you meet on the air, you will be a deacon's wife. Yes, I uh, will. So if we could have all of our listeners pray for Robin Waters, our Director of, of Evangelization and Outreach for Red Sea Catholic Radio, who will be ordained on March 19th, as well as Keith Como and all their classmates uh, who will be ordained, Keith Como being Judy's husband. Um on March 19th, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. Uh, we're, That's we're excited to come because Red Sea Catholic Radio is going to broadcast that live uh, from from location. So we're in communications with the Diocese of Austin to make that happen. And so uh, just pray for these gentlemen who will be ordained in less than a month. 16 men. Yes, yeah, 16 yeah. of them. So they've 16. been preparing for five years. Or, or longer, longer <laughs> for the most part. Um, well, so with that, Judy, you want to kick us into the break? Well, join us uh, after the break. Uh, Monica Mize will be here, and we will be talking about the sacrament of the Eucharist. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. If you're just joining us, good for you. We welcome you to our show. My name is Judy Como, and today my guest is Monica Mize, uh, my friend, my cousin, (laughs) uh, my compadre. And, you know, over maybe, Monica, two years ago, we started working together on the Presence 
retreat, which we'll re- make some references to uh, later on. Today, we're going to be talking about the sacrament of the Eucharist. And um, I just felt really called to begin the year to talk about the sacraments. They are everything we need and that kind of identifies us as Catholics. And last month, uh, Robin Waters gave a beautiful teaching on the sacrament of baptism. And now uh, we're following up with the sacrament of the Eucharist, our three sacraments of initiation. So guess what we'll talk about next month? And that would be confirmation. Monica, welcome. There you go. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. (laughs) Uh, Monica, we both are cradle Catholics, and I like to say, but I'm an Italian cradle Catholic, and I think there's a difference. (laughs) (laughs) That could be good or bad. I'm not sure. Yes, but (laughs) but today we're going to celebrate that, uh, those things that helped make us who we are. Um, I invited Monica to be a part of this show today because I know that... it's something that's close to your heart, and you help with RCIA, and I'm going to define what RCIA actually is. You know, we don't know who's listening, and a lot of us take that for granted, but absolutely, if someone has questions about the Catholic Church or they're deciding to consider joining the Catholic Church, most parishes have a program called Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, and they're all similar here, there, and everywhere, but it's usually about a eight or nine month process of classes that um, just talk about you know who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, work through the sacraments and things, and hopefully, if they're called to join the church on on Easter. And I know that you've been involved in RCIA for quite a while, and you talk to the class about the Eucharist. So you were a natural fit for me to ask you, and thank you for accepting this. So if you want to talk a little bit about why you do that or um, why you're here today. Well, um, I am a cradle Catholic, like you said, because we we went to church out in the bottom um, at San Salvador Mission Church, and um, that was kind of where we grew up, and you probably— we're like the rest of us, you know, we, especially during Lent, we would, as a family, say the rosary and, um, you know, but we went to church every Sunday. Um, First communion was, um, you know, something that I really was excited about. And <clears throat> you had mentioned the brass, the bottom being the Brazos <laughs> bottom. So those, those of us that are uh, listeners in East Texas yes. <laughs> have no clue what you just said. <laughs> they're they're, they're having a hard time getting past that word. Yeah. So that's what yeah. you mean. Where, yes. where we lived, you could, well, if you saw the river, it was a bad thing because that meant it was flooding. But we're <laughs> just a few miles from the Brazos River, and it's the fertile lowland around the Brazos River Right. Here, colloquially referred to as the bottom. And so San Salvador Mission yes. Church is a mission of St. Anthony's here in Bryan. And so that's kind of how we grew up. Um, and so I do remember when I was um, excitedly waiting for First Holy Communion. Um, and I remember um, I smiled in my picture because I was so excited. And then later, I think a family member or someone said, you're not supposed to smile. And I thought, well, I was so excited. That was, you know, that was something we looked forward to, to having Jesus really, truly present. Um, And then 
um, you know, years go by, and I remember especially trying to teach that sacrament to my children, um, you know, and to look at resources, which at that point we had so many more than when we were young, and um, and it's increased so much more, too. And yes. so I really feel like nowadays we, there's no excuse for us to not be faithful Catholics and really to— um, to really know what we are receiving and to be intentional. Um, and I guess um, I was, I've was i been a Eucharistic minister for a long, long time as well, and that's always been something that I've um, loved doing. Um, but um, several years ago when the church, um, St. Joseph's Church in Bryan, had um, uh, replaced their roof, they moved the um, Adoration Chapel to a smaller room in the Parish Activity Center. And um, when I went there for the first time, I noticed a smaller monstrance, and it just really caught my eye. And it was uh, very much like an antique. It had little um, silver uh, flourishes on each of or around the rays, and um, it was just lovely. And so I guess that started my prayer process of thinking how beautiful and how fitting it was that we use only the most precious uh, metals, gold and silver and brass, I guess, that have all been purified in their process. I guess um, we take the impurities out, we heat them up and all that, that whole process. Um, and so those are our mo- most expensive, uh, most pure metals that we use, the finest ones that we have to create something that would be worthy of holding our Lord um, in um, in the actual sacred host, and so the consecrated host. Um, and so as my prayer continued, I um, wondered, based on that and um, the fact that I had found out that we were tabernacles when we received the Eucharist for a few minutes, that um, because we're receiving the body and blood of Christ, then we are for 15 minutes or so a true tabernacle. And with all of that background knowledge, I guess I really um, was convicted at that point because I ask, how pure am I to receive our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity in Holy Communion? How worthy of a vessel was I each week to receive? And I think that really just hit home with me and um, kind of started a renewal of that sacrament and of the love for the Lord in that sacrament and all that he did, you know, throughout all of salvation history, basically. So, and most of us are like that, I think, especially cradle Catholics. We kind of got into that routine and that's what we did at church. And, um, you know, and we were reverent perhaps, and we were, um, um, you know, not, we hadn't had any mortal sins. So perhaps we had gone to confession like we should have, but, I don't think we really understood each time, and we weren't um, so prayerful and just truly present. Yeah. You know, when we were talking a little bit about what we hope to talk about, um, and so I'm going to back up just a little bit. Um, Those of us who are cradle Catholic, we're baptized usually as infants, and we usually, so I imagine you were first or second grade when you received... Uh, your first Holy Communion, you go to First Reconciliation and all of that. So it's this, um, it's a pretty big deal to try to understand uh, as a second grader. And you said you had a really good understanding of that. But much like our baptism, we receive this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
this grace, an indelible mark upon our soul, and then it's like like how do you spend the rest of your life trying to catch up to that grace and fulfill it and utilize it and depend on grace right. and everything, and um, then we have this ne- next um, stepping stone in our sacramental life. And we are able to receive it every day if we want to, twice in some extraordinary circumstances. Um, This morning I went to Mass beforehand and I was just like, oh, Lord, we're going to be talking about it and just help help every Mass. You know, uh, a priest had gathered the uh, ministers for the Mass and he would always pray, let this be as if it were my first last or my Uh, last uh, first Mass last Mass, or my only Mass, and how much different we would approach it if we could kind of have that mindset when we first come to the church. Um, And not too long ago, I did find, um, I I heard it on Catholic Radio, I'm sure, at some point, but um, that Father Edward Looney um, must be a wonderful priest, but I did get his book and in it, he, this is his same, it's, I thought, this is us, where though we're not the celebrant of the Mass, but this is the same sentiment, I think, that most of us would have. And he says, truly, it is you. This is a prayer that I say during every Mass following the consecration of the bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I started praying this prayer because as a new priest— I wanted to reaffirm what I celebrated was real. I found myself saying three to five Masses on any given weekend, and by the time I reached the third or fourth Mass, Mm. I felt I was becoming numb to the mystery I was celebrating. I lacked awe and wonder at the God-made flesh present on the altar. That prayer, truly it is you, became a reminder to me that what I was celebrating was real that Jesus' words at the Last Supper change reality. Bread and wine remain no more, having become the body and blood of Christ. And I just thought, oh, you know, it's not just us lay people. It's it's all of us. And that is the temptation, I think, is to become lax and to get used to that. Um, And he has some beautiful—that's why why he wrote the book— and I think that's the same reason why we've seen uh, priests start to put a crucifix, a small crucifix, in front of them when they're celebrating at the altar because it reminds them they have a place to look. They're looking at Jesus and his sacrifice. So, um, And so Father Looney, um, he created this book called Meditations After Holy Communion, um, and he had gone to a, um extraordinary mass, so I'm assuming a Latin mass, um, I guess when he was younger, and um, he noticed two things that were especially um, different than what he had been seeing, I guess, um, and what happens now. And he said that after communion, um, uh, that people followed—this was at the Latin Mass—people were following the kind of a meditation book, that they followed the recommended prayers that were there. So there was a prayer before Mass— a prayer before communion, a prayer after communion, and a prayer after Mass. And people would use that book and pray those prayers. And if we don't do that anymore, the book, I guess it's a missalette, but it may have a few prayers. But And then he said that after Mass, the church did not erupt in mm-hmm. conversation. 
that it was quiet and all were kneeling, saying prayers of gratitude for the gift that we just received. And so he has this book of meditations that he created, one for each Sunday and holy day, um, that allows us some time, especially right after. I know, um, you know, the priest normally sits for a moment and says, if that's probably his time, that Father Looney says, you know, Lord, it is you. Um, and then, you know, those of you that are singing in the choir, Judy, and, <laughs> and everyone else, the Eucharistic minister, we don't have quite as much time to really understand um, or to contemplate um, what we have just received. And so it's nice to have that. And even after Mass, though, because we've all just been in unity having celebrated this beautiful sacrament together, it's nice to kind of see everybody when we're leaving the church and all that, but it's really meant for a few moments to really thank the Lord for his precious gift of himself that he never, you know, he never leaves us, that he gave to us. It wasn't just the sacrifice, um, but it is the meal, the meal where we receive him, um, and so I just thought that was beautiful that it happens to all of us. And so we really have to fight that, I believe. Yes, this human, oh, humanity, <laughs> <laughs> this human condition. And I, I just so um, I want to remind our listeners that this is a live program and we would surely welcome you to call in. Uh, you could do that by calling 855-683-7332. And I'm here with Monica Mize, and we're uh, discussing the sacrament of the Eucharist. And um, I mentioned earlier that we worked on this uh, retreat, and this uh, the title of the book is Presence. And uh, so, you know, we're going to revisit the different books that we talk about, but this Presence study uh, was just excellent for me. And uh, there are so many aspects of the book that uh, has stuck with us. We did it at our Bible study at St. Anthony's, and we're continually revisiting that. Oh, and you know where it said this and that and the the different things. It starts off with this beautiful video that talks about uh, someone willing to run into a burning church in order to procure the Blessed Sacrament. And, um, you know, the just the different... And it's not just about bread. Yeah. It's a body. It's a person. person. It's a person. And throughout, and, and how we can approach Mass in a way that becomes so much more intentional when that is the forefront of your thought. You know, we get some very disappointing percentages thrown at us uh, when we look at society and the way things that affect us. And if those numbers are true, um, less than 30% of practicing Catholics truly believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. And, you know, my little brain has to look at it like, so if there's 100 people here, only 30 of us. So what more, rather than looking at the sadness of that, Let's look at the inspiration that our conversations can be, our actions can show. Right. One percent more, little by little. And that's the challenge, I think, for us. That is our uh, mission, actually, because 
the presence retreat actually said, you know, that is our mission. When we leave the church, we have Christ within us and we are to bring him to the world. And so I don't know that we've, you know, we many of us fall short in well, that. Again, some of those obscure things that teaches us mass means mission. Right. And at the end of the mass, the deacon proclaims go and make, you know, several different versions of what it is. But we are sent out. Right. We are sent out. And I. I he doesn't want us to keep it to him, to mm-hmm. ourselves. We're to, to share him with others. And so. um so there are many, many things, and one of the, the presence retreat that we keep talking about is, um, it's called Presence, the Mystery of the Eucharist, and it's by the Augustan Institute, and it's, so it's all the big names. Um, if It's on formed.org. I found the first uh, video just on YouTube the other day, if you want to read it and look into it. Um, it's beautiful, and it takes us um, from the get-go, from the Lord's creation, from the first page of the Bible until, you know, throughout all of salvation history and how much he loved us that he would do this for us and how we fell short, of course, um, with Adam and Eve and then again and again and again. So, um, but I think one of the easiest things that it does for us, for me especially, is that it kind of introduced me. I think um, Scott Hahn has introduced us to biblical typology. Mm-hmm. And that is when a person or event in the Old Testament foreshadows a person or event in the New Testament. And so then we use all of these um, these incidences, I guess, or pieces of information to verify that Jesus Christ was truly the fulfillment of, of the uh of our Savior. He is the Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting on. And so that, to me, is one of the the most important things, is if we can look through our Catholic faith with the background of the Jewish faith and see it through their eyes, it really gives us so much more insight into why we do you know, this, this way and that that way and how our Catholic faith came to being and... Um, that it wasn't just a bunch of men sat down and they said, okay, let's do this. It was from their their Jewish history. And um, anyway, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So um, one of, I'll just go through just to kind of give you an example. But the thing that really struck me was um, kind of uh, juxtapositioning the Garden of Eden against um, the Garden of Gethsemane. So you have Adam and Eve in the, the Garden of Eden and then Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he would be crucified. Um, And so Adam and Eve, of course, followed their own will. However, our Lord said, of course, not my will, but yours. And so he was willing to do his father's will. Um, And Adam and Eve were saved by toil, um, sweat of his brow. He should eat um, only stuff that uh, food that he grew. He was going to have to work um, and death was what entered the world when he and Eve sinned. Um, But Jesus was crucified, and he took on all the curses of Adam and Eve um, for our salvation. And so um, he's giving us life as opposed to death. And then finally, the thing that really got me was um, that, of course, we all know that Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Um, And they were supposed to have eaten from the tree of life. But Jesus hangs from the new tree of life, from the crucifix, from the cross. And he commands us to eat his life-giving fruit. 
That's the food for eternal life, the fruit of the cross. And I guess I had never realized that the crucifix, that he is the fruit, and that's, um, you know, that's the sacrament of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. that we are supposed to eat his body and his blood in the, the resurrected form, you know, not, not a bloody sacrament. But um, he, he just was the smartest person ever. God just knew what he was doing. And when we really understand all of the um, little details and all of the background, it just is beautiful to see the whole process from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And um, that's exemplified not only in this presence study, but uh, the book, the Jewish Roots, yeah. uh, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist by Brant Petrie. Um, they have a book. He's got um, several books kind of in that vein, but um, that is something. And and in the Presence Retreat, they um, have the most beautiful testimony from Mother Miriam. Um, she is a nun, and she used to be Jewish. And the one sentence that really just hit me and realized that that's from the Jewish perspective, but she said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob— who no man could look on and live, is being placed on my tongue. And that was when she was receiving the first Eucharist. And as a Jew, they weren't supposed to touch. You know, that was, you know, that the Lord was separated. You know, God was separated. And so um, I just thought that was beautiful, that how lucky we are that we, he gives himself to us and you know, and hopefully we are learning to be more and more attuned to that gift when we receive and to be worthy. Yeah. So, and then I normally tell our Eucharistic, uh, I mean, excuse me, our RCIA class, um, just some of the basic things that we forget um, when we receive in communion, um, especially the hour of fast that is required of, of everyone um, before we receive communion. And so for at least one hour before we receive um, from food or drink. We are are to excuse me abstain. Um, water and medicine, of course, are fine, but um, that includes chewing gum, and we've you know I've seen that at church before. So <laughs> I think I, on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, I get up and I go to an exercise class from seven till seven fifty, and I have just enough time to make it from South. College Station to St. Joseph's 815 Mass. Okay, backing up. When I wake up, I want that cup of coffee. (laughs) And I also put one in the Yeti for afterwards because I wasn't going to Mass for a little while. I was going to adoration and I could drink that cup. And so that first time that I was going to go to Mass, I took the lid off and I was like, (laughs) so I was just kind of like, I know it's nothing, but it just helps me to be more aware that that cup of coffee, I would love to drink it, but I'm not until after Mass, which is how I did it today. So Small sacrifice <laughs> compared to what he well, sacrificed I just, for you us, know, right? I can't do really, really big things all the time, very often, but these little, little things and um, abstaining from the radio or... As our wonderful friend Terry Lipscomb, you know, don't put the heater on, you know, when, or the AC and just little sacrifices like that can, anything that can point you in the right direction. We need to jot these down for Lent. 
next week. But don't so. talk to her for very long because she's going to tell you to have to take a cold shower, and I just can't do that. I want my hot shower. No Exodus 90 for me, Dennis. <laughs> One of uh, the other things that, of course, um, I've had actually priests tell me, please tell them. That especially for ladies, we need to be very modest in our dress, especially when we approach to receive and we bow slightly uh, before we receive the Eucharist. Then um, it just we need to be cognizant of that and make sure that we are appropriately dressed so there's no um, issues. Um, and then we need to, of course, all have been to confession if we had any mortal sins um, or just go to Sometimes, you know, every once in a while to do your venial sins because you get extra graces, I think. So um, and then um, it's so easy, I think, for us to forget. But, you know, the biggest part um, is when you approach to receive, you have a part. You say amen, which means I believe. And that should be a definite loving amen, not just say it because it's required. Father Mike Schmitz, whom we all know and love, um, said it's not just, okay, yeah, that's what I believe. It is I stake my life on this. It is not, if this is not truly and really Jesus, my life is forfeit. My life is nothing that I would surrender and sacrifice and give up my life for Jesus in the Eucharist. So um, I just think that's probably the most accurate description of what that amen says. So that is our part. We need to say that. Um, and then, um, you know, normally in non-COVID time, we have the uh, advantage to be able to take or to receive the Eucharist by tongue or by hand. Um, and, you know, we need to be able to make a throne. We need one hand fully on top of the other hand. Um, because if there's if they're side by side, we as a Eucharistic minister don't know exactly where to put it, and there's a greater chance that the Lord would fall to the floor, and we sure, certainly don't want that. So, you know, one hand totally on the other, they call it make a throne, um, so there's no chance of the Eucharist falling. Um, and of course, I mentioned the slight bow that we receive, or excuse me, that we make uh, before we're being extra, uh, additionally reverent and realizing the Lord is there. Um, and then if you have visitors um, that come, friends that are not Catholic, I think it's beautiful for you to explain to them very easily that um, they are welcome to come up and get a blessing and to, to put your hands to cross your chest area, and that way the Eucharistic minister or the priest or deacon will know that they are not to receive, but um, and you can explain that it is a mercy. Um, I believe that was Father Mike Schmitz that said that as well, that we are extending a mercy to them um, because that amen that we say, um, like I said, it, it's truly what we believe to that great extent, and we don't want them to be actually lying um, or saying that they do when they if they really don't believe, if they're not Catholic, and they don't truly really believe in the true presence. So so some of these people who are attending RCIA, they're encouraged to start going to Mass and learning all of that, and so they would not be able to receive yet because Correct. they have not uh, come fully into the church. And so, like you say, as, as it says, you know, if you receive the sacrament unworthily, you are 
drinking sin upon you. So right. not only are you in a state of mortal sin, you commit another mortal sin by receiving unworthily. So right. it is a mercy. It's and not a, this is my Jesus and you can't have any. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think that's a beautiful way to say that. I love how he explained it. So, um, and, and so I guess, like I had mentioned earlier, um, you know, once you receive the Eucharist um, and you can, you know, you can receive and not take the Eucharist, you offer your hands and the minister will put it on your hands um, or give you the cup um, and you can move to the side and consume it. You must consume it there and not take it back to your seat. Um, and so um, that is important as well. Um, and we remember that each time we receive um the Lord in the Eucharist, he transforms us slightly, little by little, into the greater likeness of himself. The Catechism explains the Eucharistic presence of Christ begins at the moment of the consecration and endures as long as the Eucharistic species subsists. So um, accidents are what we are the are what's called the um, the taste, the smell, the appearance, all the things that it looks like. And the accidents, um, as long as they're observable in the same form that still looks like bread and wine, then it's still valid. So science has told us that about 15 minutes is the estimated time uh, for the digestive juices to work and for the host to no longer be recognizable as bread. And so for those next 15 minutes, we are tabernacles of the Lord himself. And um, I guess one of the the um, most beautiful examples of that, I think, from a saint was Saint Philip Neri, mm-hmm. um, who was celebrating. This was, of course, long ago. Um, he was celebrating Mass, and a man received Holy Communion, and he immediately left the church early, which does happen a lot. <laughs> to we we see that regularly, and I can't say that we have once or twice had to do that as well, um, but. Because we need to recognize the Lord in the host, um, this gentleman appeared to have no regard for the Lord's presence, and so we need we need to stay and we need to be grateful. Um, but the Lord's, um, but Phil, Doctor, excuse me, Saint Neri um, actually sent two altar boys because he was trying to teach this gentleman um, the exactly the Lord's presence in the Eucharist, and so. He sent two altar boys to follow this gentleman through the streets um, with lighted candles. And after working and working, or walking and walking um, through the streets of Rome, the man turned around to see the altar boy still following him. And he was confused, so he went back to the church and asked St. Neri why he sent the altar boys. St. Philip Neri responded by saying, We have to pay proper respect to our Lord, whom you are carrying away with you. Since you neglect to adore him, I sent two acolytes to be to take your place. The man was stunned by their response and resolved to be more aware of God's presence in the future. And one of the, the last little things that I think is so beautiful um, for non-Catholics to know and for Catholics to know is that uh, because of the true presence in both species, um, the church is very careful on when we clean all of the purificators and the vessels and the corporals. Um, the corporal is like a uh, like a placemat size, um, 
cloth that's on the altar, and it kind of catches all of the small particles of the consecrated host if they kind of break off. Um, the purificators are the white cloths that the Eucharistic minister, if they are giving you the blood, would wipe the um, chalice with, and then they turn it around a little bit. So um, all of those things, um, especially the you know the cloths, are treated in a very special way. And each church has a sacrarium, which is a sink with that drains straight into the ground. It does not go into the city septic system or the drains. Um, it goes straight to the ground because if that is truly our Lord present, then um, we we certainly don't want anything to happen to him. So that's the best thing yeah. is to kind so of So anything that's him. been blessed should either be burned or buried. So right. essentially that sacrarium is burying anything right. that right. may be. So the water, yes, they actually have to um, soak everything um, for a while in just water. And then once again, any remnants or any um, little pieces of the host have dissolved and they're no longer the true presence, then they pour all of that down, that whole, all that water into the sacrarium. And then they can wash um, those uh, cloths just as you normally would. But they're very careful to do that. And I loved that when I learned that. I thought that was beautiful. And it's, it's true. We, we take very good care of that. So, yeah. uh, As we walk, go through the Mass, there's so many little reminders that can keep bringing us back to it. Just our, our posture, you know. Yes. Our, our posture means so much, and that helps us become more aware, more reverent when we're kneeling for the Eucharistic prayer. Right. Because here he comes. Jesus is about to be made fully present at every Mass, in every church, at the same time, <laughs> in the very cosmic and dynamic and under hard-to-understand kind of way. I agree. Um, I guess one of the things that I didn't—I guess we talked about the Jewish roots— um, and one of the cutest examples I wanted to share was um, my daughter— was going to uh, St. Joseph Catholic School years ago, and um, her senior year, of course, Monsignor McCaffrey talked to them about um, that you don't graduate from your faith, that you continue to learn. And I think that's one of the the worst things um, that we all as cradle Catholics do. Um, so that learning process needs to continue. Um, and I love the fact that not um, very long ago, um, uh, See, I think our Ablaze ministry started up an encounter um, that's a beautiful time of adoration with song. They have a speaker. Um, St. Mary's here actually does magnify, mm. and it's very much the same thing. Those are beautiful ways to increase your love of the Lord in the Eucharist. Um, and then, actually, so many of the priests have done Eucharistic uh, processions lately. I know. Very dynamic. Yes, I know. I think that's beautiful. So not just adoration, but anything that can help you um, increase your love um, and your knowledge. I think the depth of our faith needs to be increased. Um, and then, of course, I think our saints um, are so valuable. Um, St. John Paul too, uh, was phenomenal, and I just can't imagine how much he loved the Lord. He um, he did say 
It is good to cultivate in our hearts a constant desire for the sacrament of the Eucharist. And I don't think that we do that. I don't, you know, I think that's where we really fall short, that we're not continuing to see it anew and to, um, like I said, grow deeper. Um, He, I think he just loved the Lord so much that I say he had a superpower because he... Mm -hmm. um, he had the ability and the closeness, I guess, with the Lord and the Eucharist that he could walk into a building he had never entered and he could just feel the Lord and be drawn to the adoration chapel where the Lord was exposed. And his entourage uh, didn't really like that because that would get them way off schedule. And they would try to trick him and close the door and say, okay, we're going straight down this hallway. And he would stop and turn around and shake his finger at them and say, <laughs> and he'd open the door and he'd go in and he'd have his 45 minutes with the Lord and threw their schedule off. But it was such a priority for him. And what a beautiful example for us. Yes. I, I've also read a story when he did something like that, or they would be on task and he'd say, I, I need to go. And it would, cause they had, uh, you know, they had, safety features involved and they had a dog and they said well let's go sweep the chapel and make sure there's no one in there or whatever and the dog went straight to the tabernacle and pointed because there was a person there. they were trained to find human remains yes right and yes i love that story that was in new york i believe mm-hmm. somewhere so um and we're doing fine we, um, I guess one of the other things that I found uh, right before we finally got to do the presence retreat was uh, Pope John Paul's quote from Jason Everett. And he said, for John Paul, well, excuse me, this is Jason Everett's quote on John Paul. For John Paul, the key to rekindling Eucharistic love is to look to Mary, who was the first tabernacle in history. In his encyclical on the Eucharist, he explained and is not the enraptured gaze of Mary as she contemplated the face of the newborn Christ and cradled him in her arms, that unparalleled model of love which should inspire us every time we receive Eucharistic communion. So I think that's something we need to keep in our mind as well. So um, there's just so much. There's just so much. Well, I've been madly (laughs) trying to thumb through this book to find a particular page, but there, uh, there's, there's a page that describes what actually happens to us after we re- receive the Eucharist. When we receive the Eucharist, our sins are forgiven. Our venial sins are removed. We are healed. We are. So that after we had that study, that's kind of become my uh, Thanksgiving. That right after I receive, I'm like, thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for healing me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me. All those aspects of a reverent reception. Thank you. The receiving the Eucharist unites you with the community and receiving yes. the Eucharist unites you to the poor. And all of that, eh, I think I kind of got it. <laughs> yes, Close strengthens us in love, cleanses us from past sins, and helps us to avoid sin in the future, unites us more closely to the church, the body of Christ, helps us to see Christ in the poor and care for them. 
I did pretty okay. good you from did memory, good, didn't Judy. I? Yes, you well, did. It, this study and really... replenishes the life of grace we received in baptism, just as regular food nourishes our physical life. Mm-hmm. You did so for anyone that's listening that may be a part of a religious education at your parish, uh, RCIA program, even better yet, how about gathering four friends and uh, decide that you're going to maybe utilize this wonderful resource that you could grow and love with the Eucharist yourself and as a small group. So many different ways that uh, we could help you. You could um, contact Monica or me. If you really want to find us, you can. Call uh, St. Joseph's Catholic Church here in Bryan or St. Anthony's, and uh, we would we would love to talk to you about having a day Yes. To study this. Uh, here I am volunteering you. From, you know, if you want something done, you just ask a busy person. And uh, so I might as well throw Meredith and uh, Angela under the In bus there. to help with that. We have a wonderful little team. And through gathering for this Eucharist, we have formed a just intimate support over a little group text. So we welcome we thank everyone for listening. Our time has flown by. Monica, thank you for being here. Thank you. And go and make disciples. Since you wake up,